This is Angela Benoit, host of the Continuing Education series, a podcast we produce as a benefit for the members of the French Language Division of the American Translators Association and those interested in becoming members. This series strives to provide educational content about the craft of English to French and French to English translation and also about our division. Today's episode is a little bit of a first of its kind. Instead of inviting a guest in the traditional sense of a podcast guest, uh, I'm very happy today to welcome my first co-host. Andy Ho is here with me today to present um, Brilliant Translations, or as we decided to call them, Translations That Pop, um, which are uh, pieces of text and translations crafted by our members. So welcome, Andy, and thanks for accepting to do this with me. Thank you for having me, Angela. I'm excited about our topic today. Would you like to briefly introduce this topic for the listeners? What we're going to be doing is showcasing translations that other translators have done that we have found particularly clever or inspiring. We'll be talking about the difficulties of the source text and how the translator was able to work around those difficulties to craft a good, solid, interesting translation. Exactly, and I would add to this that um, the translations actually don't even sound like translations anymore. They sound like they um, came into existence natively into the target text, which, uh, which is the goal, I think, of any good translation. It so is, here's I agree. How, <laughs> here's how, um, yeah, here's, yeah, definitely. So here's how we're going to go about this logistically. Uh, Andy and I are going to take turns reading out the submissions that were sent to us um, by our members. And just so you know, we have some credited submissions and some anonymous submissions. Those are the two formats we offered. Um, and then we will share our thoughts about uh, these different pieces of text. These different pieces of text, sorry. So it looks like, it looks like I get to go first, actually, uh, with a translation by Mary, Mary Lou Bradley. And uh, here's the source text. Ce monde est plein d'opportunités pour ceux qui savent aller là où d'autres ne se précipitent pas spontanément. I actually added a word to that, so let me do it again. Ce monde est plein d'opportunités pour ceux qui savent aller où d'autres ne se précipitent pas spontanément. There we go. Andy, over to you. All right, the target text in English reads, This world is full of opportunities for those who instinctively gravitate to places others do not. And the translator commented that this company that she translated this for is very proud of its ability to select value investment opportunities. The way management talks about its activity in this especially enjoyable translation inspired the phrase instinctively gravitate to describe this uncommon ability. So what jumps out at you, Angela, as a native French speaker? Um, two things. Uh, the first one was what uh, you just read out from Mary Lou, the instinctively gravitate. Um, I love seeing this because in French, uh, we do see gravité autour de, and always with autour. Gravité autour d'un thème, d'un sujet, things like that. Um, and this is a really interesting place to see it pop up um, in English. And then I also really liked... Um, Instinctively becoming spontanément, no, other way around, spontanément <laughs> becoming instinctively. Um, sorry, I'm, I'm used to going into French. Um, I found that to be an interesting shift that makes the text um, 
flow more natively if we were to say for those who spontaneously gravitate to places others do not. Um, so I completely like, agree with you. The first thing I found exactly. was uh, spontaneement, which I was hoping she did not translate as spontaneously, which of course she did not. Uh, mm -hmm. because that, that really works. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, what, uh, what did you have to say about this one, Andy? Well, one thing I thought that was really interesting was she translated de précipité as gravity, which to me, de précipité is, is, indicates speed, whereas gravity in English suggests something uh, slower. So I thought that was a different hmm. uh, take on it. I actually hadn't noticed that. That, that is very interesting. Although. I suppose if you're going to trip and fall, gravity is going to hit pretty hard um, <laughs> and fast. That's um, a good point. Yeah. I, hadn't thought of that. <laughs> I, I, I hadn't thought of the speed um, implied behind that action verb, but uh, yeah, very cool thing to note as well. Well, let me ask you this. Would you ever see gravitate in English and translate it into in French? I would like to say that I would have done that, but who really knows? Uh, I think it's an interesting <laughs> solution in both directions. Um, when precipitous or precipitation would not really work in English, and where gravité um, wouldn't work in French, I think it's interesting for both uh, language combinations. Obviously, you know, it's going to depend on the context and all sorts of things, but. Um, I like it as a solution, uh, as a, a translation solution for both. I think is what I'm trying to say. Mm -hmm. All right. Did you have any other notes for this one, Andy? Uh, that was it for me. I thought that was a good one to start with. Yeah. Me too. Me too. Um, definitely a very good translation there. Thank you, Mary Lou. Um, all right. On to the next one, and it looks like. Looks like it, it's my turn. Uh, this is from Dominique Jonkers, and the source text is as follows. Actually, no. I'm getting all tangled up. Andy, take it away. The source text is in English. All right, source text. Although there is no official definition of what constitutes a quote-unquote controversial weapon, and different countries, regions, and institutions hold varying views, it typically possesses one or more of the following characteristics, colon. And then there's three bullet points. Indiscrimination, proportionality, illegality. And here we go and with the target text. Il n'existe pas de définition officielle de la notion d'arme controversée, and arme controversée est entre guillemets, et les points de vue en la matière diffèrent selon les pays, les régions et les institutions. Cela dit, on considérera généralement comme controversée une arme, de points à la ligne tirée, aveugle dans son action, tirée, disproportionnée dans ses effets, ou, tirée, illégale. And here's what Dominique had to say about what makes this translation um, stand out. So the initial sentence contains three ideas, no official definition, varying views, and a list of characteristics. So he had to cut it down into several pieces. Um, he also re reordered the second proposition by inverting the subject and the object, which is uh, something that's common in English and French. Um, 
there's no one-word translation for indiscrimination, so there's no way to translate the enumeration with the three, with three French uh, substantive, substantive forms. So he had to go with adjectives. And proportionality is a positive, or at least a neutral word, in the midst of two negative words. So I, he changed it into disproportionate. Um, Andy, as a French to English translator, what is your take on this one that goes the other way around? So what I thought was kind of funny is usually French likes to use the nouns, and then in English I have to change them into verbs or some other form. Usually that's mm -hmm. the most idiomatic way to go. So I thought it was kind of, you know, uh, reverse case here to go in a different direction. You had the nouns in English, and then he changed it into, uh, I guess it, it would be adjectives in the French. Yeah, exactly. Um, I had the same note, actually. And he explains it pretty well. Um, since in discrimination, th there was no one-word translation for it. You had to qualify the weapon with three different adjectives. Um, as opposed to doing uh, what you said. And it's true that in English and French, you would always want a, a noun first. If you can't do that, an adjective. And if you really can't do a noun or an adjective, then go with the verbs. But that would be the last choice. Um, but you know, adjectives, adjectives are fine. Like they, they, they provided a, a really good solution here, too. In uh, Translate in Chantilly a couple of years ago, the conference there, I believe it was Francois Lavallée, did a seminar on using French, the French language's ability to reverse things. So in English, you couldn't really say the noun, in arme, and then a bunch of adjectives. You could, but you'd have to finesse it a little bit. And so okay. he was arguing that French has this ability uh, and flexibility that English does not. So you should really take advantage of it whenever you can. So Dominique Jonkers actually did that here. I thought it was very elegant. Interesting. I never, I never thought that in French to English you can't do that. For us, it's one of our, as I mean, English into French, it's one of our go-tos. Take the noun and then decline or add or rearrange all of your qualifiers, your adjectives around it. Um, how did, how did you guys survive without being able to do that? Uh, like I said, it takes some finessing. So in a case like this, you might say, you know, uh, an arm, a weapon that is colon, you know, then you could do that. But wow. yeah. it might that would be okay. slightly more awkward. It's it's a lot more elegant in the French. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what did you think of? Uh, hang on, where is it? So the second proposition was re reordered. Now where is that one? Um, okay, hang on here. Les points de vue en la matière diffèrent selon les pays, les régions et les institutions. Um, was that what I'm trying to say? Different countries, yes, different countries, regions, and institutions hold varying views. That's the classic. The object becomes the subject. The subject becomes the object. Um, what else is there here? Yes, what did you think of the proportionality situation down there at the bottom? Uh, I think it worked. I didn't quite pick up on the fact that proportionality is positive in French. Um, I guess in English it is too. Proportional, it's uh, positive or neutral. Yeah, disproportional works. It's a little more neutral, I think, in this case in English. Proportionality. It's not mm -hmm. uh, saying it's disproportionate or not. 
I wondered whether or not proportionality was neutral or positive in the English. I remain un unconvinced either way. I felt like disproportionate actually clarifies the message further by saying, this is a bad thing. You know, in yes. case there was any doubt from the proportionality in the English, and maybe we can say that this English had a weakness right there. In the French, this is definitely a bad thing, and we're not going to let that be questionable. I think the French is clearer, but I don't think the English is unclear. Good. When you say proportionality, it means whether or not it is proportional. So it, okay. it implies question, and then no judgment either way. Okay, okay. Although they are controversial weapons, so we would assume that the proportionality would be in a negative light. Yes, true. Yeah, true, true. All right. Did you have any other ones for this one? Uh, no, that, I thought that was a good one, too. Yeah, me too. Okay, next one. This time it is my turn to start. <laughs> Let's do this properly. This one is met by Natalie Pavey. Um, and the source text is, Gérer votre quotidien devient facile. And this is a slogan for MemboGo, an all-in-one online platform for a nonprofit organization. Andy, would you like to tell us the target text? All right. So what Natalie wrote in English was, managing your day-to-day -day just got easier. And then she had this to say about translation. She said the client initially proposed a rather literal translation, which was, managing your day-to-day -day becomes easy. And I knew something had to be changed. So I was happy to come up with a new ending that keeps the upbeat tone of the original translation while communicating the same message as we would say it in English. And there I think Natalie really gets to the crux of the issue when she says, managing your day just got easier. That, that just got it's so idiomatic in American advertising. So I think she really was spot on in the tone of the translation there. Yeah, she, I think she completely nailed it. Um, the rhythm changes completely. And to me, this illustrates how very small and subtle tweaks in a sentence. Okay, small, small no, that's the wrong word. It's a huge tweak. But it's so, it's just the two words that change. And the rhythm, the feel, everything is different. And you have a different color and a different flavor, just moving from the immediate past, to the, moving from the present to the immediate past. I think it's brilliant. Yes, I, I think this is exactly the type of thing that would be very difficult for a non-native speaker to do or an untrained translator, I suppose. Um, yes. Because the two don't necessarily look that different. They're about the same length. The meaning isn't really different. But you're right, just that, mm. uh, you know, change in the verb tense really brings it into idiomatic English, and not just idiomatic English, but idiomatic American advertising English. It's really yes. snappy and punchy. Yes, and it almost brings it into focus, like it becomes easy is so vague and abstract and, and strange, and just got easier. It's perfect. Your, prob your problems are solved. It's, yes, as you said, it's an idiomatic American English for marketing. It's, it's brilliant. Mm -hmm. um, next one? Sure. Okay, here we go. And uh, oh, my turn again. This is by Theresa Shepard. And the context is an illustrated 
assign teaching. It's a, it's a book. It's an illustrated book for uh, teaching children about pigs. Source text is Copain comme cochon. Passer la journée à manger et à dormir, très peu pour moi. Parole de cochon, je suis curieux et intelligent. Et ne rien faire me mène à la déprime assurée. J'aime fouiller, manipuler, mâchouiller et déchiqueter. Andy, over to right. In the English, she wrote, Happy as pigs in mud. Think I spend my days eating and sleeping? Hogwash. I'm curious and clever. Doing nothing all day would just leave me depressed. I like to dig, chew, tow at stuff, and tear things apart. That's a fun one. All right. Teresa says she kept the fun pig theme and kept the text kid-friendly yet informative and made adaptations as needed. So, of course, the thing, at least to me, that stands out is the use of the word hogwash. It's not mm-hmm. everyday language, but, you know, it's, it's a bit literary, but it's cheeky, it's cheerful, and, of course, it's punny, the most important part. Absolutely. And I think it also teaches kids a sophisticated word, which I find to be awesome. Yes. It's educational, that's all I'll say. Yeah, educational for sure. Um, moving away from the kids and into the adult word, my first thought was, oh, that's a sweet adaptation of, and we're going to say it, happiest pigs and shit. <laughs> Until I realized that the original is not necessarily happiest pigs and shit. Um, as far as I could research and tell, mud and shit are both appropriate and used in this expression. But obviously, this is the kid-friendly version, so we're going with the mud. Do you know which came first, by any chance? I do not. I um, saw that in terms of frequency, mud was more frequent in um, online searches, but shit was still very present, and it was um, listed in a lot of, I mean, quote-unquote, official sources for things like shit. I would never cite Urban Dictionary as a reliable source for <laughs> elegant language. <laughs> but if Urban Dictionary does have an entry for happiest pigs and shit, I will take that as a sign that this expression is used. Um, All right. And it does. So I think it's more a question of register. Um, unless, I mean, I'm blabbing on here, but did, did, were you able to find out which one came up first? I was not. No. Okay. All right. Well, listeners, if somebody knows mud versus shit, please tell us. <laughs> um, another thing that stood out for me was parole de cochon disappeared. And um, I don't know. I thought that, that was a good idea. The translator didn't try to pigeonhole something that would end up just sounding uncomfortable and strange. And I'm completely comfortable, uh, and I'm fine with it disappearing. What did you think? Uh, I have a slightly different take on that. I don't think it disappeared. Mm-hmm. I think très peu pour moi and parole cochon, I think they were combined into hogwash. So you have the pun there, parole cochon, mm-hmm. and hog, hogwash. And hogwash means you know, nonsense. That's, that's not correct. 
So I think they were combined into one word. It was extremely elegant. I missed that. That's awesome. I know. That's amazing. This, this is a really I think the linear one. the linearness of translation means that my eyes saw Clippable One Hogwash and Oh great. Fantastic way of doing it. I missed that. Thank you. That's I like this one even more. So what can you explain exactly what mushier is? What that would be in French? I'm sorry, the line jumped a little bit there. What did you say? Sorry, uh, can you explain in French what mâchouillé means to you? Oh, mâchouillé. Um, chewing slowly and not necessarily for eating purposes, I think. I didn't, I didn't look it up, um, but for me, okay. mâché is when you are chewing something with the, with the idea of swallowing it, which is food. Uh, mâchouillé makes me think of a small puppy that's kind of just grabbing at pieces of wood or chewing your furniture pretty much. Um, (laughs) Or, yeah, that would be my sweet. Or toys, yes, yes, toys, little ball. You know what, I guess I'm looking at uh, Manipulé then. She switched, I didn't notice this at first, but so she switched the verbs in the last line. The French says, j'aime fouiller, manipuler, mâchouiller, déchiqueter. And then the English says, I like to dig, chew, tow at stuff, and tear things apart. So oh, yeah. she changed the order of the verbs. I'm pretty sure it's for the rhythm there. And then yeah. tow at stuff. That really stood out to me. It, I actually had to do a double take at that because to tow at something is a little strange to say. I understand what it means, but I wouldn't yeah. say that's exactly a standard term. But I thought about it. You can paw at something in English. But obviously, pigs don't have paws. <laughs> mm. Yes, yes, you're right. I wonder if that so was towing. Is, yeah, towing would be grabbing. The pig would grab a string or something with their snout and just kind of tug, tug and tow. Mm, yeah, or I, yeah. I'm not really sure. You know, maybe. Okay. Well, it does say they like to dig, so probably dig at things, kind yeah. of try to grab at toys. Who knows? Yeah. And we see here the abstract French turning into more concrete English again because many truly, I mean, what, what, what is that? That is just vague. Vague. The curse of the French language. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and it, it works because we do have um, a, a pig that's being given a, a few human characteristics through this, at least through the ability to speak. Um, but yeah, in English it's becoming more more conc- concrete, more action-based again. Very cool. Yeah. All right. Um, did you have other comments for this one? Uh, no, that's it for that one. All right. Let's move on to the next one. And we're back to Natalie Pavey this time uh, with input from Jessica Gunville. And this is the source text. L'élégance à la plage, de la plage à l'élégance. And this is a slogan for Paris aux Bulles, a collection by a Montreal-based clothing designer. And then the English is elegance from dusk till dawn. Natalie has this to say, as expressed by Linda Crippo, the clothing designer behind the collection, the original slogan reflects the idea that les vêtements de Paris aux Bulles sont trop beaux pour les garder que pour la plage. 
So we were therefore happy to come up with a slogan that reflects the desire to be elegantly dressed regardless of the time or place. Very cool. So what struck you about this one, Angela? Well, I think the most obvious one is that obvious one is that the beach is gone. Elegance from dusk till dawn. We have plage twice in the French version and in the English, poof. Um, it disappears completely. And I took a look at the website actually to because at the beginning I was kind of bothered by that. Um, I'm not in a good way or a bad way just yet, but I wondered if the lack of beach was going to be a problem. And it turns out that probably not. Um, this is beach clothing. Pario Bure. Pario is a Pario is a, a, a piece of clothing you only wear to the beach. I would not wear it anywhere else. And um, it becomes fairly obvious that it's beach stuff. We don't, I mean, you can say beach if you want to, but you don't have to um, if you don't want to. And Dust Till Dawn clearly expresses evening time. Um, the lady, the person wearing the clothing would leave the beach, go straight to dinner, dancing, partying, clubbing, celebrating, um, singing, whatever her evening time activities are, and doesn't need to change. That sounds elegant and convenient. What I thought was interesting was even, uh, even broader than eliminating the idea of the beach was she switched from talking about a place to talking about a time. So yes. the source text talks about where you can wear this piece of clothing, and then the English talks about when you can wear it, from dusk till dawn. So I think in this case, it must have been really important to be able to speak with the client directly and know really what they wanted to convey at the root of their mm -hmm. French slogan and almost rewrite it entirely. There's yes. no way I think you could have really gotten that English slogan from the French without having an in-depth conversation with the client, in my opinion. I agree completely, and um, I would even add to that an in-depth conversation with the client, of course, and looking at the images of the pieces of clothing. They are nice pieces. They are elegant. It's not your sporty beachwear um, with stripes down the side. It, this is nice, nice things that you would wear out to um, a fancy place. Um, and I think this, again, showcases the importance of having a relationship with your client and really getting to know their products, but also their intentions. Agreed. Are we going to talk a little bit about chemistry now? Uh, it's, this one is an anonymous submission, and the source text is, Plus précisément, la présente invention a pour objet un procédé de fabrication consistant à faire réagir entre l'acrylo... Oh, I forgot to study these. L'acrylolitrile, l'acide sulfurique fumant et l'isobutylène. Hmm, I have no idea what those yeah. are. Andy, what's the English? Let's give it a shot. The English says, more precisely, the subject of the present invention is a production process consisting of co-reacting acrylonitrile 
maybe. Fuming sulfuric acid and isobutylene. Hmm. The anonymous contributor says, the source text is a fairly banal sentence of the kind commonly found in patents, but the phrase a is a little clunky. There are banal and clunky ways of rendering that in English. What the translator and editor both liked is that Coley acting isn't clunky and has a nice simplicity and clarity to it. It pops. It shows that even technical translations have room for finding words that are just right. I love co-creating here. I think it's fantastic. I do not know what these three friends do, but if they're co-reacting, I'm a fan. <laughs> I thought it was clever, but I also wonder, this isn't a criticism, but I wonder if they created that word or if it exists. Because I looked it up, and I can find the word co-reactant, the noun, uh, but I didn't find anything about the verb co-reacting. So I wonder if that's I, something they sort of created out of necessity hmm. or if it actually exists in chemistry. I have to correct myself. I said co-creating, I think, instead of co-reacting, but we do mean co-reacting here. That's a great question. Um, I think in English there is a certain amount of flexibility, and it's possible to do things like inventing co-reacting, maybe. We think about co-working, co-living, co Lots of codes. Um, I'm fine with it. <laughs> yeah, no, I think it's, uh, again, it's an elegant way of capturing an entire French prepositional phrase uh, mm -hmm. with just a very simple English verb. English likes its verbs. Very, very much so. And I, I have an appreciation for the thought that this person expressed when they said um, that even in technical translation, there's room for finding the right words and words that are going to have a ring to them. And um, I like that. I think that's an underappreciated skill in technical translation, and uh, well done. Yes, agreed. Uh, again, harking back to, I think it was the same conference, Translate and Shanti, a few years ago, Grant mm -hmm. Hamilton had a seminar on, I think it was translating contracts or request for proposals, something like that, which sounds incredibly dry, but of course, typical mm -hmm. Grant, he found a way to make it interesting and show that there are still elegant ways to render things that you think are very straightforward mm -hmm. or simple. Yeah, and I think it's always important to strive to, to, towards that. Um, for the readers, and yes, in a selfish way to make our days more interesting when we're translating something jarring boring. If we eat out these little treasures, it um, makes our job more fun. Right, and you know what? It's not just about making it more interesting, but it is about making it more idiomatic and clear too. And you could argue that in something like a request for a proposal or a contract, clarity is of the utmost mm. importance. You don't want the reader to be tripping over anything and wondering what anything means. You have to be completely clear and transparent about what you're trying to say. Very true, very true. Um, all right, it looks like we're coming up on to the last one. This is my favorite one. It's uh, a <laughs> translation by our very own Angela Benoit. And the source text is very short. It just says, well, we're going to use the brand name Acme, but this is actually for a tech company. So the source text says, Acme, anytime, anywhere. That was a headache. And here's what I decided to do with it. Uh, Acme dans votre poche. Um, how and why? 
So as Andy said, this is a tech company. I, I, I do have to withhold their name, but it was a tech company, and they created an app, uh, like many of these tech companies do. Um, and the Anytime, Anywhere combo is very popular in US English, very popular in the tech world, and it is so clunky in French. I mean, n'importe quand and de n'importe où. Who says that? <laughs> For me, it just doesn't – it's like, you know, when your toe hits the sidewalk and you do this, like, triple hop to stop yourself from falling on your hands. That's what, that's what that combo word sounds like in French to me. Um, so my thought process was, where do apps go? They go on a smartphone. And where does your smartphone go? In your pocket. Or in your purse, but um, we're just not going to talk about that. Uh, don't let's push flows off of your tongue. I thought that it was elegant. Um, it conveys the idea of convenience, like the English does, and it has the sense of, at least me, had the sense of fluidity, um, which I felt it more important to render the fluidity than the actual words, because I mean this this went up on a banner. It was a slogan, um, and it was fun to do. I think it's brilliant. Uh, anytime, anywhere, that's a phrase that English speakers love because in our language it is very snappy and punchy. So it's a, an easy phrase to toss in and sound, you know, it'll sound good anywhere. And it also encompasses so much. Anytime, anywhere, that encompasses all of time and space. It does. It does. Maybe a bit of an overblown statement, but you know. Well, as long as you have an internet connection there. in power. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. So, but the French really succeeds in capturing the intention of the English. And I don't know if this is exactly the case, but I felt like it sort of alluded to the benefits rather than stating the claim explicitly, which once again is very French to be so vague. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, again, yet another elegant solution. Oops. I just knocked my microphone off my shirt, so I apologize for that big clunky noise, which we did not hear, but the recording will contain a big clunky noise just about now. So I'm sorry about that. That has been fixed. Um, yes, and you know, Andy, when I did it, I wasn't actually actively thinking about this abstract versus very physical and concrete. Very, you know, I mean, we've talked about it already in this podcast, and it's not the first because we talk about it all the time in French and English and the French translation. And I, it wasn't present in my mind when I did this, but it happened instinctively again. My French ended up more abstract. And, uh, yeah. Very cool. That takes us to the end of our first list of translations that pop. Andy, this was fun. Thank you so much for doing this. This was so exciting. It's really fun to see what our colleagues are doing and to be inspired by their, their brilliance and their creativity. Mm -hmm. And I think, um, you know, in the intro, we actually didn't mention um, the inspiration for this topic, but there are a lot of posts online on Facebook and in other places about bad translations. And we stop and we look because it's our job. Um, but I also think that it's very important to highlight great translations and highlight the work of our colleagues and say, this was awesome. It's a source of inspiration, and um, I think it does a lot to um, highlight the, our profession and what we try to do in the world. 
All right. This concludes our episode for today. You can subscribe to the Continuing Education Series podcast on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com forward slash ETA dash FLD or on iTunes by searching for the words Continuing Education Series in the iTunes store. You can contact the FLD at divisionfld at atanet.org. You can visit our website at www.ata-divisions.org forward slash FLD, and those three letters FLD need to be in all caps. Or you can get in touch with us on social media. This is Angela Benoit signing off. Thanks for listening. A bientôt.